Good morning, my name is Ken. I am one of the pastors here at Village Church, and I've got the privilege uh, this week and actually next week to break open to you 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, encourage you to turn to that. Welcome to you in Calgary, Vin and the team there, uh, Coquitlam, Marco and the team, Cliff and the team there in Langley South, Jordan and Langley North, and then Chris here in Surrey. Excited to be with you. Two questions have been rolling around in my mind this week as I prepared. The first question is this. If God, in His sovereign wisdom, would devise or design a means by which we can communicate directly with Him, secondly, a means by which He could actually pray His prayers, which are guaranteed to be in the will of God through us, and a means by which, while we pray, our filters of doubt, unbelief, and fear would actually be bypassed, so we'd be praying more in faith, confident that our prayers would be answered because it would bypass our fears and doubts, while all at the same time our faith being strengthened and our personal sense of His presence and His love being built up within us, if God would devise a means by which we could do all that, would you be interested? And would you give it a shot? I'd like you just to put that in the leeward lobes of your cranium for the next few minutes. We'll come back to that. We'll come to my second question, seemingly unrelated, but they will be related in the text at a certain point. By what will you be remembered? At Village Church, we've had a number of funerals lately. Some tragic, actually all funerals are tragic, aren't they? When does a death not become tragic? My own personal life, about a month ago, we buried my father, and I had the privilege of speaking at his, his funeral memorial. My two brothers were also speaking. They got to br bring a tribute, me being the pastor. I brought the message or sermon, but I started off with sharing what I remembered about my father and what he taught me, and here's a few things. Work hard, always pay your debts in full. Taught me how to fish, how to buy a car. Taught me that vacation is not the time to save money. He taught me to never hit a girl or a woman. He taught me that 10% or more of my income belongs to the Lord. Always return a car full of gas, a borrowed car full of gas, always lend your car out full. Always leave a campsite better condition than when you found it. And if someone hits you on the right cheek, offer him your left. If he hits you again, let him have it. <laughs> I think he got that one from the message. <laughs> and then work hard. In life, there are no free lunches. I found it interestingly that both that me and both of my brothers all mentioned one of the common themes was working hard, and there's no doubt about it. My father will be remembered for being a hard worker. What will I be remembered for? Probably a hard worker. Maybe the pace at which I walk. We had a, someone in the office the other week, and I walked by them and said, Ken always walks as if he's participating in a fire drill. <laughs> she was a volunteer, so we can't even fire her. <laughs> Would I be remembered for how fast I walk? I'm always in a rush. Will I be remembered for freedom session or my convictions? And I was thinking about, am I good with what I'd be remembered for? What, what happens if I missed it by 30 degrees? All, all good things in my life, but, what, but it, will that be why we remembered? Is that what I want to be remembered for? Or maybe the better question is, by what should we seek to be remembered? And 1 Corinthians chapter 14 will actually give us a hint of what God says, or at least two of the qualities that are incredibly important. And verse 1 actually wraps up my message in a nutshell. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual. 
pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual. Pursue love at fire drill speed. It actually uh, 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 a hastency in that. But but earnestly seek. Make it your priority. Reorient your life around seeking the spiritual. And if you're following along in your Bibles, I know good and well that your Bible says, and, and if you have an, e, uh, an ESV version, says earnestly speak the spiritual gifts. But the word gifts there is not actually in the original text. And scholars are divided uh, on what actually he's meaning. Earnestly speak the spirit, seek the spiritual what? It could be gifts because he is talking about spiritual gifts. And in Greek, the original language, the New Testament was written in, you, you often fill in the blanks by the context. So it could be gifts, but it could also just be earnestly seek the manifestations of the Spirit. Earnestly seek the Holy Spirit actually living out and through you. Earnestly seek God living through you rather than just you living through you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the one that I would, I would personally lean towards. That, that, that's what I think he's talking about. Of course, that would include the spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm a bit of an expert on drunkenness because there was a time in my life I was drunk every day. When you're drunk, you say things you wouldn't normally say. You do things you wouldn't normally do. You think about yourself and other people differently than you normally would. And, and when it says be filled with the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? I mean, the Holy Spirit's not a liquid. It's not a gas. It's not actually the Holy Spirit fills you up like that. It means be controlled by, just like you'd be controlled by alcohol if you're drunk. Pursue love and earnestly seek, desire, pattern your life after the spiritual. The Christian life, if you're checking out Christianity, yes, there's things we do in the physical, but there's a spiritual component of that. Things change in our hearts. And that's my message in a nutshell today. Pursue love, but earnestly seek the spiritual, especially that you would prophesy, but even that prophesy is a qualifier. The main thing is to pursue love and seek the spiritual earnestly. Last week, Michael Cinchella very masterly covered the first, the pursuing love. This morning, I want to focus on the seeking after the spiritual. But for some of you, frankly, I was thinking about this, some of you actually probably don't need to become more spiritual. You need to actually become more loved. So don't let the, the message from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we covered last week, don't let that prematurely wash over you. Because if you, if you got all the spiritual and all your spiritual practices, but if they are not filtered and tempered and actually driven by love, it's useless. So make sure you listen to that and go back through what, what Michael is preaching and apply it to your marriages, apply it to your purity, apply it to your, to your life, your thought life, or whatever else is. This morning I want to pack the second part, the spiritual. And it's important that we also talk about this in love because I'm going to be covering one of the more controversial practices or non-practices of the Christian church, and that is the speaking in tongues. And the way I'm going to do this in love is I'm going to communicate to you love is I'm going to be very careful to share with you what I know for sure, for sure, for sure from the scriptures and then what I believe. And I'm also going to put in a couple of my personal experiences with that. I'm asking you to receive it in love because some of you are going to love what I say today and some of you are going to be disappointed because I didn't go far enough and some of you aren't going to believe it at all. But this is not a passage that divides us. This is, this is an issue that people see a little bit differently. We're going to address it. We're going to receive it in love. And I just want you to think about it and pray about it and see what God says to you. Uh, it shows up in verse 2. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual, especially that you would prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him. He utters mysteries in his spirit. The, the actual word is glossolalea. And uh, according to Scripture, the, the speaking in tongues is the act or practice of verbally speaking in a, in a language that is unknown to the speaker. 
The word tongue actually means language. It's not something weird. So, so we're talking about the art or act of practice of verbally speaking to God in a language that's unknown to the speaker. And many believe, including myself, that speaking or praying in the tongues actually allows the Holy Spirit to pray his desires through your voice. Just like acting in mercy allows the Holy Spirit to bless someone else. Just like me acting and speaking and using it, my teaching ability allows the Holy Spirit to bring a message uh, from himself to you. It's the same as a lot of our spiritual gifts. There's an actual physical and a human component in that. It actually coincides with our, our beliefs that God does most of his work, some would say all of his work, through a human vehicle. God created the earth. He wanted someone to take care of it. He chose a man and a woman to take care of that. God wanted to take his people out of captivity, so he chose a man to lead them out. God, all through, all through the, old, the Old Testament and the New Testament, even salvation, God wanted someone to save, so he chose a man. Jesus Christ, God himself, became a man. God has chosen to do most of, some would say all of his activity on earth through a human vehicle and it's actually the foundation of spiritual gifts for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He needs us to take a step and be part of that so that he can work. That's not limiting God. That's how he's chosen to work. Some would believe that there's a difference between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues. According to scripture, this spiritual language is sometimes um, understood by other people. In Acts chapter 2, that's what happened. Mark alluded to this the other day. The, the, the people were pray, uh, praising God and worshiping and praying, and the Holy Spirit came down and appeared like tongues of fire. It didn't say tongues of fire rested on them. And the, all they began doing is praising God. But they didn't, maybe they knew it, maybe they didn't know it, but they weren't using English. Actually, they never used English. They weren't using Greek or Aramaic, right? They were just speaking, and then people around them actually understood what God was saying. We don't know for sure if they knew what language they were speaking in. They just began praising God. So sometimes it's clearly understood by other people what's being said. Sometimes, and then they, they said, what's this? We each hear them speak in our own language. Sometimes it's used as a personal and private prayer language. What Paul's talking about, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is a little bit different in verse 2. It says, when you pray in a tongue or a, or a spiritual language, you're praying unto God and no one understands what you're saying. And then later on in verse 14, he says, when I pray with my spirit, my mind is unfruitful, but my spirit prays. And that's a, that's a prayer language um, that you're actually communicating directly with God. And that allows one to pray, worship, or intercede more effectively. And then sometimes while praying in a tongue or this language, sometimes it's interpreted by the person who is actually praying in tongues. That's why it, it, it says, if you pray in a tongue, pray also that you would interpret so that you could actually bring a message. Or sometimes it's interpreted by someone else who hears that language and gets a sense of what God is saying and brings the message. And it's also important, I'm not trying to split hairs here, but it's an interpretation rather than a translation. See, a translation is word for word. I've got a granddaughter, her name's Justice, and, uh, and some, they've, got, they've got a dog, and sometimes just, the dog will be looking outside and just, and Justice will interpret what the dog is saying. The dog wants to go outside. Or she's got a little brother, Isaac, you know, six months old or whatever, and sometimes Justice will tell us what Isaac wants. It's interpreting. I know that's a lame illustration, but it's not a technical word-for-word -word, uh, translation. It's an interpretation. It's a sense of what God is saying. 
If you've been tracking with us through Masterclass, you know that the Apostle Paul was writing 1 Corinthians as a letter of correction to the Corinthian church. So I want to read to you, and this is he's addressing this as well. And he brings it out, he says, I'd like you to prophesy, but and then he talks about tongues. So there was a problem, and I want to read the text so you can hopefully pick out the problem and then Paul's solution to the problem. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual, especially you prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbringing, uh, upbuilding, encouragement, and con uh, consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want all of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather even more that you prophesy. So if, if, anyone prof uh, if the one prophesying um, is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church might be built up. You see his focus there. He wants the church to grow. Now, brothers, and then he gives some rationale. If I come speaking in tongues, how am I going to benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or, or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And then he gives some examples. Even lifeless instruments such as the flute or harp uh, do not give uh, distinct notes. How will anyone know what's played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how will anyone get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how's anyone going to know what's said? You're going to be speaking into the air. There's doubtless many kinds of languages in the world, none's without meaning, but if I don't know the meaning, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, the speaker a foreigner with me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, since you are eager for the Holy Spirit to control your lives, to work out in your lives, to grow the church, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, if anyone prays in a tongue, he should also pray that he interprets... And he goes on. I could go through the rest of the passage. Perhaps you could read it at home. The problem that he's addressing is that this was perhaps one of the most spiritual churches that he's ever encountered. Or spiritually expressive churches. Let me put it that way. I mean, the place was basically on fire. People were becoming Christians. Lots of people were becoming Christians. They didn't know there was sexual immorality. They didn't know any better. They were having communion problems. Some people were getting drunk on the communion and some people weren't. Some people were waiting. They had social economic problems. They had marital difficulties based on their faith. Some people were becoming Christians. They were married to non-Christians. They weren't sure how to figure this all out. Uh, there was all kinds of stuff going on. There, there, were, there were a lot of, there were rough around the edges Christians kind of people. There were new people coming to check out what's going on in Corinth. The place was growing. It was on fire. And the Holy Spirit had poured himself on, out on them and they'd received him. But the problem, and when they'd come together, most of the church was praying and speaking in tongues. And it was confusion. There was chaos. Plus, there were guests. People were inviting guests, just like we do at Village. And they were coming in. And what's all going on? What language are we talking about here? Well, no one knows. They were confused. It seemed weird. And Paul was concerned about that. And Paul's correction was, earnestly seek that, definitely earnestly seek the manifestation of the Spirit, but use all of your spiritual gifts in a way that actually builds up the church, in a way that actually encourages the church, and in a way that's sensitive to people who don't personally know the Holy Spirit. Temper your spiritual giftedness and expressions and all the powerful things God's doing through love. It's not just about you. Do you know that you can use the gift of mercy in a way that builds up the church and in a way that builds up you? See, you can use the gift of mercy in a way and just keep meeting needs and pouring out love and you'll feel good and you'll feel nurtured and you'll feel great, but that doesn't necessarily build up the people. At a certain point, those of you who have gifts and mercy probably want to use the track record you've built of ministering to that person and actually bring some correction. That's the way that builds up the church. Now, they might not like you. It's not just about you. It's the same with tongues. 
It's the same with any spiritual gift. You can use it to build up the church or you can use it to divide the church. They were just using it. It's all about us. Remember, this church was, I'm about, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Jesus. Whatever. They were divided. They were using it as a badge. I'm more spiritual than you. And that's totally destructive. It's very ironic. You know, you know, back to my question at the beginning. If God would devise a, a way for us to communicate with him a powerful prayer language, what do you think Satan would do about that? I think he'd try to dissuade as many people as possible from using it. I think Satan would try to divide the Christian church by a spiritual gift like that because the la- if it's true that God created that way, the last thing Satan would want us to do is to exercise it, especially if it's powerful and makes a difference. And he's done it by us not exercising love in that gift, and we can become divisive. We can even create denominations based on our personal beliefs about this. That's why he directly instructs those who do speak in tongues to ask the Holy Spirit to give them an interpretation of what they're praying so that they can share it with the rest of the body. That's what's preferable in a public setting. On your own, if you pray in tongues, knock yourself out. Pray as much as you want. And I want to correct a fallacy that I was taught growing up, and some of you from a conservative heritage have been taught about this, and the fallacy is this, that the Apostle Paul actually downplays, discourages the gift of tongues or minimizes its importance. That's not true at all. He says, now I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more I'd like you to prophesy. I mean, if he said, I'd like all of you to serve, but even more to give, you wouldn't say, well, I guess he doesn't want us to serve. He doesn't want both. Later on, he says, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you, but when I'm with you, when I come personally, when I got the microphone, I would rather give you five minutes or five words in a language that you understand than me stand up here with a microphone and pray in tongues and you not have any idea at all. Because of the church, I want to build you up. This is the guy that became all things to all men so that by all possible means, he might win some. He was concerned about the church, he was concerned about the people, and he was concerned about the non-Christians who were coming. I was trying to think of, of, of an illustration, uh, you know, so I'll just use my son Callan again. Um, so let's suppose Callan came to me and said, Dad, I, I haven't been taking care of my body. I've been staying up late. I've been working too much, not taking a day off, been eating mostly fast foods. I go to bed late, get up early. He says, but I decided I'm going to take better care of my body. So I got a gym membership for me and I got a personal trainer and a personal dietitian. I'm going to go to the gym every, every four days a week, work out early in the morning. I'm going to be buff in three months. And I'd say, awesome. That's great, Callan. But what about if you've been living this way? Why not get a gym membership for your family? Then your whole family can benefit. Why don't you guys create a meal plan and you guys go do some exercise, make, make, make exercising a healthy part of your diet? Then if you need to go a couple extra days in the morning to buff out, go for it. I'm not saying don't work out personally. I'm saying, yeah, that's awesome. But your whole family, I care about that. So do something, sacrifice a bit of your buffness for the rest of your family. And still, you know, still work on them both. And, and that's, I know it's a lame uh, human illustration, but you're not dissing the one for the other. You're saying, I'd prefer this, but they're both good. So why would Paul want all of the uh, Corinthian believers to pray or speak in tongues? I mean, why would I want to? Why would you want to? I mean, it's weird, isn't it? It's a little uncomfortable. Well, I suppose. But before we write off anything to not do because it just feels a little bit uncomfortable, let me remind you of a couple of weird things we've done this morning. When's the last time you got together with 150 to 800 people, depends on which service you come to, to sing? How many of you, when you first started raising your hands, found it a little bit uncomfortable? I did. 
So I was raised, you know, raising your hands was like this, expressive. But when I first began raising my hands, I felt a little bit uncomfortable, but it's become really meaningful. In fact, I don't care less. You know, you know, it's at cinema worship, we have a lot of our services, cinema worship. You know, some people say, well, can you worship to your screen? Well, frankly, just, you know, technically, the sound that we get in cinema worship is actually technically better because it's, it's been, you know, worked and edited or whatever. It's technically better than we get live. But the other thing is, I'm worshiping God. I don't even care. In fact, I love it. I can worship anywhere, but because I don't care anymore. But originally, it was a little bit awkward. Singing together in public is weird, isn't it? You don't do that much. Another thing is weird, some of we actually, uh, we put money in a bucket or we text give and we actually gave uh, financial information for someone at the village office to take money out of your account, that's kind of weird and you actually believe that God's gonna take care of your needs and some of you gave money that you don't actually need, you actually need for your bills but you're giving in faith. Another thing we do weird is we listen to, to 30 to 45 minutes every single week, someone telling us how to live out of a book that's been written 2,000 years ago. That's a bit weird, especially when you think about it. Most of the time, we listen to someone that can't even put a leadership agenda in the form of an acrostic. <laughs> if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll understand that. <laughs> and then what's really weird, some of us do it sitting in jeans that we paid someone $130 to tear in the right places so we look cool. All that's weird unless there's a God who actually works in us when we give in faith. Unless there's a God who actually takes this word that was written 2,000 years ago and makes it living and active in our hearts. Unless there's a God that when we worship, we are actually built up and his presence fills us with faith and encouragement. Unless there's a God, everything we do in the Christian life is weird. We forgive, we sacrifice our time, we pray, we get on our knees when we're in trouble and we crawl out into the air, we speak words, hoping that there's a God who hears and reorchestrates situations in our lives. Almost everything we do is weird. The cross is weird. That God Almighty would come down to earth and die for us so that we could go to heaven. And when we bury someone, that's weird because we believe that God actually has taken their spirit and taken us. It's all weird unless there's a God. And I personally believe humbly but confidently the same as with the spiritual gift of, of tongues. And I'm not saying do things because they're weird, seek after them because they're weird. But I'm talking about when something's talked about in Scripture, even if it's a little uncomfortable for us, maybe we should open our ears and our eyes. Okay, so maybe it's apparently not weird. I still don't understand the point. What's the benefit? I mean, if God thinks it's important, if, I guess if God wants me to give, have that spiritual gift, I guess I'll get it, but I don't, I don't speak in tongues, so I guess I don't have that spiritual gift. That's another thought that we often have. I want to deviate just a little bit from the text and to bring in my own experience into the text. I've been praying in tongues for about 22 years now. I've been a Christian for a little over 40. First 15 years, actually, that math's not right. First 15 years, I didn't pray in tongues at all. It's become more and more frequent in my life. In fact, I prayed in tongues this morning. I pray in tongues every day of my life. And I don't think I'm weird. I don't believe I have the spiritual gift of tongues. I'll explain that in a minute. I've never had the desire to speak in tongues. I was taught that they were no longer operative. What I desired is I became hungry for the things of the Holy Spirit. 
1996-97, we had just encountered some demonic, and I began ministering. I had to learn how to minister there, and we were planting a church, and I needed the Holy Spirit to come through in power. And so I began to seek the mentorship and encouragement of other brothers who I trusted, who were not weird, and to, to help me grow as a young pastor and to grow as a young man. And one of the common characteristics I found in a lot of the people that I sought after for advice is that a lot of them prayed and spoke in tongues, and they weren't weird. And one of them was my mentor. And you don't pick a mentor and then not listen to them. I picked a mentor. I didn't even know he prayed in tongues when I picked him as a mentor. He was a man of God, spoken in my heart. So I asked him if he would share with me and help me to become a better pastor. And he wasn't even a pastor. He just helped me become a more of a man of God. And one day he asked me, he says, Ken, have you ever uh, uh, prayed in tongues or asked God, um, or have you ever wanted to pray in tongues? And I said, sure. And he says, you can. That was new revelation to me because I kind of thought like a lot of you that if I'm going to pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me and it's just going to wash over and I'm going to have no control and I'm just going to pray in tongues. He didn't do that with your giving gift, did he? Did he ever come and just have no control? Oh, I just got to give more. I just pour it all out. Where's my credit card? I just need, you know, teaching, mercy. You know, it didn't, the Holy Spirit didn't just come upon you and you have, feel like you have to lather over someone like a St. Bernard dog. You've got choices. You make choices. And he said, in Acts chapter 2, he says, Ken, they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was a new concept for me, that there's a human element I'd have to take by faith. And then God, if he wants to use it, he would use it through me. And I said, God hasn't given me the gift. And Peter said, so? He knew me well enough to know that mercy was not my spiritual gift. He says, you exercise mercy, don't you? And I said, yeah, rarely. He says, you don't have that gift. He says, you're a pastor. You don't have the gift of shepherding, do you? No. You're a pastor, though, so you exercise that gift. How do you know what spiritual gift you have? How do you know if you've got a spiritual gift of teaching? Well, you start teaching. You start teaching. You teach, and then God, if you've got the gift, God will give an anointing at a certain part, and what you're teaching becomes more relevant, becomes living and active to other people, and if you find that that's happening more and more often in your life, it's probably you've got a spiritual anointing, a gift of teaching. How do you, get, how do you develop the spiritual gift of leadership? Well, you start leading, don't you? How do you develop the spirit? You start serving, don't you? You even take classes on leadership. I've got classes on leadership. I think my, my master's in, is in practical or pastoral leadership. I'm not sure. But I took classes. I, I spent money being trained in how to lead. But if someone would, uh, would say, I'm going to get trained on how to pray and speak in tongues, you say, no, you shouldn't do that. We apply a different set of rules to this spiritual gift than any other gift. We expect it to just come over and us have no control. That's one of the reasons why it's so out of whack. And one of my goals this morning is to demystify it. Desensationalize, de yeah, desensationalize de it, but actually help you see that it could be very meaningful. How do you know if you have the gift of anything? Teaching, serving, mercy, shepherding, giving faith. You've got to start practicing it. Healing. How do you know if you have the spiritual gift of healing? Well, you'd have to pray for people to be healed. And if more people get healed through your prayers, then it's possible you've got a gift of healing there. The only one that's tricky is martyrdom. I don't know if you can practice that one. I'll give you, this is my love component, this is my personal theology on this. I believe that all believers, all spirit-filled believers, have the privilege and responsibility to move in all of the gifts. And there's a certain anointing that will come on some of them, and that's one of the ways you know that that's actually a spiritual gift, but I can still practice those that I don't have the gift. So Peter said to me, he said, Ken, this is my mentor, he said, Ken, if the Holy Spirit ever brought it to your mind to pray in a tongue, would you do it? I said, sure. That was my deal with God. And I'm not saying you should make a deal with God. It's a bad idea to make a deal with God. So I said, sure. I said, if the Holy Spirit ever brings to my mind when I'm worshiping or praying or interceding, I'll pray in a tongue. 
And I was driving by, back from Abbotsford. I don't know if it was that time, or I don't think it was. I was thinking it was a couple weeks later. I was driving back from, from Abbotsford, which is a city about a, uh, an hour away from us. And I was just praying or worshiping. I can't remember which one. And here's the words that came into my mind. Give me your tongue. And I thought, oh, great. But I was alone, so I thought it was okay. And so I didn't want to pray. This is kind of weird, but I didn't want to pray anything weird. So I knew the Hebrew word for God was Elohim. And so I thought, I'll start with that. I didn't want to pray anything demonic. So I just started that, Elohim, and then I just gave God syllables. And I prayed for about 11 seconds, and then the feeling went away. And I remember thinking, hmm, that was interesting. And then a few days later, I was praying, interceding, praying for someone else. And after I kind of ran out of words, you ever notice that? You can pray for someone for about 30 seconds, and you run out of words? I mean, how long could you pray for me? Really? You'd run out of words. You don't know me real well. So I was praying for someone, and I ran out of words, and all of a sudden the thought, give me your tongue. And so I began giving God syllables again. And I did it by faith because I didn't know what I was saying. Over time, it's become more and more natural for me. And I'm not saying you've got to do it because I do it. I'm just telling you that's the truth, and I don't think I'm weird. I can also tell you that it's done something in my heart. It does something in my heart when I'm discouraged and I don't know how to pray. We've gone through some very, very difficult times in our life and our family with health issues and other stuff. And what do you do when you don't know how to pray? That's what I do. And I feel a little bit like Paul. I wish all of you would pray in tongues. I don't care if you do. I mean, I do care. People downplay it. But how many of you are built up enough in the Holy Spirit? How many of you are, enough or edif- how many of you are edified enough in the Holy Spirit? Because it's one of the things that praying in tongues does if you want to pray in tongues. I told you I don't believe I have the gift in tongues. I already talked about that. Um, I, I believe what I mean by that is um, I believe the gift of tongues is when I'd be, if I would be praying in a tongue and then God would either give me the sense of what he's praying, that's the interpretation of tongues, or someone else the understanding of what I'm praying, that would be the gift, I think. That would be the gift. The rest of it for me is a discipline. It's, it's one of the most meaningful parts of my Christian life. When have I found it so help? When have I found it particularly helpful? I, I've already mentioned to you. For me personally, it's in intercession or worship. The other thing is, you know, at, at a staff meeting on Wednesdays, we have this time of prayer. We all gather around in prayer. We pray for half an hour. You know, I don't want to waste that time. So when someone else is praying, rather than just listening to them pray, I pray in tongues. They don't even know it because I pray quietly. You 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 can control the volume. <laughs> it doesn't have to be divisive. Because I want to pray, and I'm listening to them, and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to pray. In my understanding, my belief, that's what I think is happening. I pray in both, just like the Apostle Paul in verse 15. He says, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. I will pray with my mind also. I will worship in the spirit. I will worship in my mind also. I personally believe in Scripture when they're talking about praying in the spirit. That's praying in a spiritual prayer language. Some of you don't believe that. You think it's something else, and we're going to worship together, and we're going to grow together. There's been unique experiences. Sometimes when I'm praying, there's, there's, I get an emotional burden. One time we were in Guatemala, and this is the only time this happened. Um, we were in Guatemala, uh, my wife and I, and um, for, for about, all of a sudden I felt this something come up and I and I began praying in tongues in different words than I'd ever used in tongues before and I did that about four times and then the burden was gone I have no idea what I was praying but I know it was different and I'm not gonna I don't have the time nor they're they're kind of personal stories but there's two miracles that we would attribute partially to praying the Holy Spirit praying through us in our life powerful miracles that happened within the last three years these are not some things in our lives that happened 15 years ago and most of you didn't even know I prayed in tongues So does everyone need to pray in tongues? No. Are you less of a Christian if you don't pray in tongues? No. 
Is it the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit? No, I think love is being the signs, the initial evidence would be love, a transformed life, that your thoughts, your attitudes, your money, how you spend your time, whatever it is, that's transformed by that. And even if you believe it's the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, so what? So what? Let's suppose that was you, you got baptized in the Spirit when you were 22 years old and that was 30 years ago. So what? Are you filled with the Spirit today? Don't base your spirituality, your Christianity on something that happened 10, 15 years ago. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit today? And are you using your gifts, whatever they are, in a way that builds up the church? So what do I do real briefly, putting myself in the picture? What if I don't pray and speak in tongues? Well, ask yourself if you want to. Ask yourself, would I like to try praying in a way that the Holy Spirit might want to pray through me in a powerful way? If yes, you can do two things. Just try praying in tongues, giving him utterance. Or you can do what I did, make a deal with him. Lord, if you ever bring it to my mind when I'm praying or worshiping, I'll give you my tongue, I'll give it a shot. If no, oh, and if he does bring it to mind, then pray in tongues. If, if the answer is no, if you don't want to pray in tongues, then don't, don't get weirded out by other people who do. Don't become divisive, and don't send me 15 internet sites that tells me I'm wrong. We've got a new thing, complaints at thisisvillagechurch.com. Just send them there. We don't actually answer that. It's not actually a real email address, but you'll feel better. <laughs> but don't, don't try to police someone else's freedom, and don't be divisive. If you don't want to pray in tongues, pray in English, pray in Spanish, Russian, Chinese, even low German. <laughs> what happens if you do pray and speak in tongues? Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual, especially prophecy. Pray, ask God to give you the interpretation, the sense of what you're praying, and so that you can share it. Next week, I'm going to unpack prophecy a little bit more. Don't wear it as a badge. Don't wear it as a badge. Think you're more spiritual than someone else. My wife's prayed in tongues for about three years. She's had some incredible spiritual experience with the Holy Spirit prior to that. I don't think she was filled with the Spirit when she began praying in tongues, maybe a greater degree. I don't know. Don't wear it as a badge. It's divisive. Be sensitive to your surroundings. If there's people around you, be sensitive to that. You control the volume. And pray in tongues lots or pray in English lots, especially when interceding for others. Are we going to practice tongues at Village? We already do. This is the public expression, worship service of Village Church. We've got 65-minute services. We're probably not going to take a lot of time with someone up a microphone speaking in a language you don't understand. We've barely got enough time to cover everything we want to do. But we already practice it in, in, in speaking in tongues. We just want to do it sensitively. We want to do it in a way that empowers and builds up. We want to do it in a way that brings more people to Jesus Christ. And we're probably not going to do it publicly because some of you are inviting guests and they're going to think you're weirder than you actually are. <laughs> but we don't want to do that. We've got a weird filter. We try, we're weird enough. We try to minimize weirdness that we can. But we are going to pursue love and we're going to earnestly desire and seek the spiritual because that is what God has called us to do. Holy Spirit of God, I simply ask you to take your word and perform that miracle where it becomes living and active in our lives. Some of us have heard things today that we hadn't heard in this light before. Some of us need to pursue love a little bit more. A lot of us need to pursue the spiritual. Lord, we could use a greater degree of you working in and through us in our marriages, in our lives, in our priorities, and in our prayers. And I thank you, Father, that you've included this chapter. And I ask you to help us to apply it in a way that builds up the church and glorifies you and ultimately results in more people coming to know you because they see that God is at work in us and that we're different. 
And for those, Lord, who want to pray in a town, we ask you, God, to remind them or give them that nudging and that they begin to see a greater power in their prayers, their lives transformed, their relationships transformed, and then built up in you and in love. In the name of Jesus.